Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 10 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, I'm the director of 7 Positive, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Jerowen Beekmans. Jerowen's the co-founder of Pop-Up City, which is an online platform that reports trends, ideas, and creative solutions for the city of today and tomorrow. He's also the co-founder of Golfstroman, an Amsterdam-based agency for spatial innovation, communication and trend research. Since 2017, Jerome's been the event organiser for Pecha Kucha Amsterdam, an event for young designers to meet, network and show their work in public. So on today's podcast, Jerome will share some of the key initiatives he's reported on, which he believes have created positive social change. We'll talk about pop-up social impact initiatives in cities and get Jerome's insights on the fundamental ingredients for successful projects. And along the way, we'll undoubtedly get some highly valuable insights, tips and inspiration from Jerome about social innovation. Jerome, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here in your beautiful office with lots of great natural light. <laughs> and, um, and in Amsterdam, it really is a pleasure. So, Jerome, could you please share a bit about your background and, and what led you to co-found Golfstroman and, and Pop-Up City? I'm a social scientist, I'm a political scientist, and I graduated in urban studies from the University of Amsterdam. Yep. During my studies, I founded, co-founded Golfstroman with, uh, with actually one of my housemates, Joop de Boer. So we met in a student flat uh, building. And uh, apparently, both of us turned out to be to have a lot of interesting ideas on city making, on not only city making, also culture, yeah. uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and we we just we just decided to you know to put some ideas into practice, uh, bring them to rea- reality, bring yeah. them to life. And that's how we founded Golfstroom. And um, Golfstroom was our first company. We mm. started in 2006, yeah. um, just with a bunch of ideas and. More of a cultural innovation company, I think, in the first place, mm. and we we sort of moved to city making slowly, yeah. and we are specifically interested in the temporary nature of city making. Mm. So it was pre-crisis still, yeah. and you saw a shift in city making, urban development from master plans, top-down master plans, to more bottom-up initiatives, mm. and also a temporary nature of, of how how cities and how areas are being developed. Yeah, and we started experimenting with all kinds of strange ideas. We created the world's smallest cinema in an electricity box somewhere in the city um, for one person only. 
we managed to get a housing association in Amsterdam that far to give us a house we could use for a summer and uh -huh. we turned that into a hotel just yeah. to see what happens when you just take one house and turn it into a hotel. It was you know the wow. it was the it was the time before Airbnb yeah. popped up so it was kind of a new new experience for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually did a lot of experiment, experiments with your space. How, how can you use space? How can you transform space and then mm. in a temporary way? Which, I mean, at that time, there wasn't a lot of talk about even the pop-up nature of things, which over the last few years has had a lot of, you know, it's almost become a buzzword. Yeah. So you're really ahead of the time in that way. Yeah. Some people, they think we are a, we, we, we are a crisis company. So mm. we, were, we are the result of the economic crisis yep. that emerged in 2008. And I always tell them that's not true. And I think that in a, in a, in a, in a world that has become so fluid, in a world that's changing so fast, change itself, mm. just going faster and faster and faster. Um, people, cities, everything needs to needs rethinking, you know, and especially cities. And we, we've been asking ourselves from the very first beginning, does it still make sense to make cities and out of concrete, and steel and glass? Mm. Don't we need more fluid and flexible pop-up solutions for city making? Mm. Uh, because I mean, when everything's changing so fast, when people are becoming so flexible, so mobile, yeah. does it still make sense to build cities the way we are used to mm. build them? That's, yeah. that's our fascination from the, from the start. Yeah, some, some really interesting background there, John. I mean, Pop-Up City's created literally hundreds of articles now. Yeah, over 2,000. Oh, so over 2,000 articles. <laughs> I mean, all really talking about the cities of the future, sure. yeah. um, talking about uh, interesting initiatives now as well. Yeah. So could you please tell us a little bit more about Pop-Up City and what it is that drives you to do this work? Yeah, um, well, 2008 was still before the crisis, uh, a bit before, half a year before the crisis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, um, we, we started a little website, personal blog, hmm. just the two of us, Joop and me. Yeah. Because we wanted to keep track of the things we found online, pop-up things, flexible things, new ways of city making, uh, how individuals, companies, governments around the world came up with new solutions to cope with a world of you know that's permanently changing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this was very personal for us, just to keep a personal collection of, of, of interesting initiatives. Mm. This could be you know parks on wheels, um, architecture made from plastic yeah. instead of bricks. Uh, Flexible retail concepts, uh, interesting new apps for smartphones, which is also a very new phenomenon that yeah. back in the days. Yeah. And um, this this little blog was just there. And um, as it always goes with uh, with with having your own blog, you you know you stop writing. You know after a mm -hmm. while because you think no one is interested in this, in, in this bullshit. So yeah. uh, you know motivation is fading away. Sure. And then I was checking the statistics <laughs> in December that year. We started in April. And I, found, I suddenly found out that thousands of people were actually reading this kind of bullshit. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought, okay, this is interesting. Maybe you should turn this into a yeah, more serious thing, you yeah. know? Um, and I think uh, I was amongst one of those first thousand. Really? Okay, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, well, good. Back, back then, I was, I was living in Barcelona, and, and like I said uh, before, I... I stumbled across it. I found the content interesting, so right, thank you. So thank you were you were certainly reaching various you know countries around the world back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Um, there has been a blog, an American blog called Yanko Design. Yep. And they were quite big. There was one guy, Chad Smith. I never, I'll never forget his name. He <laughs> 
wrote a piece about us, and I don't know why, because we were small as a company, and we were small as a blog, yeah. and he said something like, their work is so flexible and so fluent, this is totally new, and they are the revival of the situation, this international movement, and we're like, oh, whoa, whoa, this is interesting, you know, <laughs> this guy has to say something, you know, this series about us, yeah. couldn't, I mean, couldn't have said it better, you know, mm. uh, and this, I think this was, was the main reason for many people to to go to our website wow. and I think maybe this chat guy, maybe we should invite him someday to eat a piece of cake with him or something, you know, because he's the reason I think we still exist as a magazine. Wow. He, he doesn't know himself, I think, but uh, yeah, Excellent. that's how it went. Wow, it's, it's, a, it's a great story. We've spoken a little bit about Golfstrom and you, you mentioned that you started this before with your ex-flatmate. Yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what you guys do and an example of the type of projects that you work on? Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, first of all, I need to say that as Holstone, we are in a constant identity crisis. Mm. So we never know for sure what we're doing. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's just a reality of, you know, being a company in 2017, but... Um, well, it means you're very fluid. Exactly, yes, right. exactly, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Um, I think, let me explain it this way, we work on the boundaries between communication on one hand and urban development on the other hand. Mm -hmm. and we think that city making has become an art of communication, an act of communication, yep. more than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I think that if involving people in positive urban change, that also means that you have to be good at communicating, talking about areas, talking about urban development. Mm -hmm. um, and to give an example of what we do, uh, a, um, a project we just launched last week is the Post Fossil City Contest. The Utrecht University, they yep. have a, a, la a lab called the Urban Future Studio. Yep. Um, they um, tie together scientific insights uh, with uh, actors in the field of urban development. Mm -hmm. They um, took the initiative for a, call, a contest, an international contest for the creative community worldwide to come up with new imaginaries, new ideas concepts for how a city in the post-fossil era would look like, how yep. it would feel, how people would move around, how they would work, live, and we help them develop an interesting creative communication strategy around this mm. to, uh, to actually you know, let this contest land with as many people as possible yep. around the world. So this is actually, I mean, this is communication work, but it also, also has a yeah, social impact, urban impact as well. Mm. Sounds like a really great project. Yeah, it's very interesting, I think, yeah. And, and was that a relationship that started with the University of Utrecht and has, has sort of grown over the years? Or is this, have they approached you to, to begin this work? They, they've approached us, especially for this, specifically for this, this project. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly has a lot of overlap with the sort of work and, and writing that you're doing at the moment. That's true, yeah. So, I mean, in following these latest trends and, and reporting on city initiatives over the last... 10 odd years, how have you seen a shift in the, in the types of initiatives which are being started to create positive social change? You know, in the crisis, you saw this bottom-up, bottom-up movement popping up yeah, around yeah. the world. Definitely. And bottom-up became, became a buzzword in itself, I think. Mm. At a certain moment, people were just starting urban farms just for the sake of urban farms. Mm. Uh, Neighborhood initiatives. I don't want to. I don't want to be negative about this, but um, I think bottom up, this new way of city making has become mature. 
uh, in recent years. I think that now it's more about quality. I mean, back in the days when bottom up started, it was not about. It was it was more about the initiative itself that it that the fact that it was started by someone, than about the impact mm. it's created. Yeah. And I think people have become better at creating impact and seeing that as a main goal of the initiative. Mm. Um, and I think. That's, that's, I think, one of the most important things that, ha that has, have happened in the past years mm. in urban development. Wow, excellent. Okay. And so from the last three years, could you please share perhaps those top three social change initiatives which you've reported on? <laughs> Are there any particularly memorable <laughs> yeah, ones? Too. <laughs> Tell us about two then. <laughs> um, I really like... I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm, that's a one in a thousand chance if you've written two thousand articles. <laughs> yeah, I really think every each, each of them is really cool, you know. But now I think I really like the Luchtsingel. I, I I stay close to home, but um, the Luchtsingel project is from Rotterdam. Yep. There is an architecture firm called Sus Z U S, mm -hmm. and they uh, first of all they decided to sort of squat an, an empty building, which is interesting, I think, as an architecture firm to do because it means that you're actually actively engaged in what you're doing mm. instead of just waiting for a government or a company to give you a new assignment, new project. So first of all, they did that. They occupied this building, empty building. They programmed it with new activities. So there, there was a new interesting hub in Rotterdam where mm. people could go to. Uh, it really activated the place, the, the Shine neighborhood. And they were very close to the old northern quarter of the city. And this was... Um, poor area, poor place, and what they did, they proposed a new layer of public space, uh, a pedestrian bridge running between the north, the old north of the city, mm. right through their building. Uh, they created an opening on both sides, so it could run, could run through the building, yep. all the way to the central station of the city. Wow. Um, there was no money for this, only the initiative. And they decided to do a crowdfunding campaign, and I, I think it was one of the first acts of crowdfunding in urbanism mm. uh, back then, which is really interesting, I think. And people could buy a piece of wood and have their name on it, and this piece of wood, you know, was used for yeah. building the bridge. So when you walk that bridge, it's it's it's, it's I think it's, it's very nice. It's a very good piece of architecture, mm. first place. And you see all these names on, on all the sides, all these people who contributed to this project. Yeah. And this way they were able to kickstart it, to build the first part, and then the city said, hey, this is interesting, you know, we should also get on board. Wow. And they decided to contribute more money to the project so they could actually extend, extend this, 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 this bridge. Mm. But, I mean, without this architecture firm taking the initiative and without the people um, contributing to it, donating to it, yep. participating in this crowdfunding campaign, this piece of infrastructure would have never existed wow. and it would have never connected the Old North to the Central Station District of the city. Mm. And doing this, they really managed to activate the place and also the Old North and mm. they just single-handedly, as an architecture firm, managed to redevelop a neighborhood in the city. Wow. And I think this is really interesting, but just making a connection that is worth visiting and worth using. Yeah, yeah, it's an inspirational initiative. Yeah, definitely. There is, uh, I'm, I'm, now I'm really even closer to home. Uh, uh, it's also from, I mean, we're from the north of Amsterdam yeah. as a company. 
Um, and uh, this place is really, really developing. Uh, when we came here as a company, there was nothing here. Really, really nothing. We have uh, this weekly stroll to the snack bar uh, yeah. to have our uh, uh, weekly piece of junk food as a company. And uh, this is called the, the Fabo. <laughs> not the Fabo, no, no, no. Very local independent guy. <laughs> no, not, not the big ones. No, no, no. For the listeners out there, uh, Fabo is, is a, a Dutch burger place where you can put your, your coin in the wall and, and a little window opens and you can pull out your your cold burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cold burger and when you're lucky, no one else before you has uh, a spit on it. So, <laughs> so back, back to interesting initiatives. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, there is a street in the north called Van der Pekstraat mm-hmm. and uh, this, is, this, this, this street is running through uh, one of the poorest neighborhoods, sorry, poorest na- poor neighborhoods again, of the country. The housing association owning this neighborhood, they start to open up old houses on mm-hmm. the ground level of all these uh, apartment blocks and uh, try to program uh, shops in there. Yep. Um, there's one very interesting pop-up shop which is called Wisselwinkel. Uh, it's, I, I how would you translate that? I think something like shift shop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some entrepreneurs, they, they came up with a, a shop concept that has a flexible interior which means that it can change function and every six months uh, an inhabitant from the neighborhood with a good idea for a business could start a shop there. Hmm. That, that space, I think he or she could have the space for free, was yep. sponsored by the sponsored by the housing uh, uh, association. Yep. So you have six months of starting kickstarting a shop, to see what happens, experiment with it, yep. see if it's it's uh, viable. Viable, yes, exactly. And after those six months, they have to move out, no matter what. So if it's not successful, you have to move out. If it's successful, you have to move out. Wow. Uh, and another entrepreneur gets his chance. Hmm. And doing this, uh, several shops, several people have been able to kickstart their business and move up a serious shop down the road. Excellent. So this little concept, this actually was able to revitalize this entire street. And now Van de Pekstraat is one of the most interesting streets of the entire neighborhood in the north. Wow, and built out of that initiative. Yes. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Wow. And so, are there any fundamental ingredients of an initiative, for example, like the one we've just spoken about, mm-hmm. which you believe are required to create a successful pop-up social impact initiative? Um, yeah. Um, I think what we, what we can learn from Luchtsingel with this Rotterdam project is that it's... Um, I think this architecture did a great job by just not waiting for something to happen, mm-hmm. not waiting for a destiny, but just taking initiative in their own hands. So yep. If you want to change something, even if you're not in the field, you can still change it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can still take the initiative. And what they, I think, a great job they did is making people stakeholder in the process, making them ambassador. Because, I mean, this crowdfunding project made people realize, um, they, made, they made them part of the project, made them a fan of the project. Mm-hmm. And by contributing to it, you also wanted to go through. So you, you immediately create a huge fan base Mm. for a project and I think a very fundamental ingredient to create something successful that has a positive impact is a social impact is that it has to be communicative so Mm. it's very important I mean you can have an interesting idea but if you don't know how to communicate it in a good way then you'll be lost and Mm. uh, it's sometimes maybe sad to say this but we are living in a media society and 
brands, people, everything is screaming for attention. Mm. So you have to be good to let your message land with people. Yeah. And I think some social initiatives are really, really good in their nature, but they don't know well enough how to communicate it. Mm. And that's um, sometimes maybe, yeah, this, well, I mean, yeah, it's a pity. You know? yeah, yeah, I yeah. think this is very, very fundamental, very, very important. Mm. Couple of great initiatives, Jerome. So in 2014, you published a book called Pop-Up City, City Making in a Fluid World. Could you please tell us a little bit more about this book and share some of the challenges you faced in, in getting it up and, and shipping it to people around the world? Yeah, um, we've always wanted to make a book. Um, one, of the, one of our main uh, objectives for doing what we do, making, I mean, running Pop-Up City is trying to describe urban innovation, urban projects in a very, very concrete way, mm. very practical ways. And we do this because we want to engage as many people as possible in uh, making urban change, you know, yep. um, uh, by, by making things very tangible. Um, we try to get as many people on board as possible. Um, so we've always wanted, also wanted to, to experiment with, with a book. How, what if, what if we would turn a blog into a book? Is that possible in the first place? And how should it look like? Look like? And we got this chance. We got a bit of funding from a creative industries fund. Mm. Uh, in the Netherlands there is a funding organization that can, that's able to support this kind of initiative. Yep. We found a publisher, this Publishers. They have an international uh, network, distribution network. Um, and um, in the end we created a book that uh, features, according to us, the most interesting content from the blog mm -hmm. the past five to six years. Yep. Um, and also, it was it also gave us the opportunity to tell a wider, more profound story about the emergence of pop up, a mm. flexible urbanism, where it comes from, what are the underlying factors, and yep. where, where, what, how does it change the face of city making? Mm. And um, I mean. Blogging about it, blogging, writing about it online, never gives you the time and the space to really, really make a message, put yep. a message. Yep. And by writing a book, we could do this. Mm. We wanted to make a both a coffee table book. Uh, my colleague says a book you can also <laughs> read on the toilet while yep. doing a dump. <laughs> <laughs> and it's possible because there's a lot of interesting small, you know, small piece of inspiration in there yep. uh, with interesting pictures but also a book that you can actually read you know if so if you want to read something serious you can yep. also uh, be able to read a book um, mm -hmm. I think we managed to do that and uh, there was a gap in our uh, budget of course we have a fan base so a, a group of readers follow us yep. around the world uh, which is over 200,000 a month yep. so we thought why not mobilize them and run a crowdfunding campaign mm. to fix this. This crowdfunding campaign enabled people to buy a very first copy of the book, mm. very first print run, yep. um, so to pre-order. And, and by doing that, we were able to raise enough money to start the actual printing process. Excellent. Um, so also here, um, I'm talking about crowdfunding urbanism uh, before, but mm. also here, this really worked well to bring out our message. Yeah. To spread it across the world. Yeah, excellent. Very good. Before we spoke a little bit about Pechacucha, Amsterdam, or at least in the introduction, you've been in this role of organising this for roughly 10 years now. Yeah. So over that time period, what have you learnt about running this event 
and what do you believe makes a really good Pecha Kucha presentation? Pecha mm -hmm. Kucha is really a phenomenon that has a lot to do with our short attention spans mm. of today. You know, it's yep. about uh, 20 slides. Each presenter gets 20 slides to present, and every slide is on the screen for just 20 seconds. Mm. You know, it's from Tokyo, it's from Japan. This yep. concept started as a as a as a network event for mm. young designers to share their work, inspiration with the audience. Uh, became a global phenomenon with nights mm. uh, in over 1,000 cities. Yep. Um, what we learned about this event, I think that it's you're perfectly capable of combining on the one hand nightlife and on the other hand cultural programs. So Pecha Kucha is very unique. It's I think it was one of the first initiatives around the world that were able to merge those two. Mm. And it's a nightlife event, it's a club event. So yep. Pecha Kuchas in Amsterdam always take place in clubs, nightclubs, night mm. venues. Yep. But they bring people in who are not uh, ordinary club goers. Yep. They are people interested in cultural things, cultural programs. Mm. So um, that's what we learned from it. Um, what makes a good Pecha Kucha presentation stand out? I think the most funny presentations were surprising, of course. Yeah. Uh, I really like when people don't take themselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. I think there is so many people in this world who are very pretentious and think they carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. You know, they, they think yeah. they have to solve the world's problems. Yeah. And I always like it when people are not too serious about what they have to tell, what mm -hmm. they are telling about their own work. Yeah. And by doing that, they it's like they take off their clothes, you know, like mm. here I am naked and yep. I also have my insecurities and yep. I'm not perfect too, yep. you know, and that's what I want to communicate to people. And also, I think by doing that, you also stimulate people to mm. bring out the best in them because no one's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Speaking from a government perspective now, Jerome, are you aware of, I mean, the different sorts of support programs that the Dutch government offers? for people going through Pechacucha, pitching ideas, um, social entrepreneurs, etc., in helping them launch a sustainable project? Mm -hmm. We have a very good funding climate, I think, in the Netherlands, mm. uh, historically. Yep. And there's a lot of funding organizations. For instance, the Creative Industries Fund. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they do a really good job at um, funding, sometimes with big, big sums of money, sometimes with really small sums of money. Yep kickstarting interesting projects and initiatives mm. and there's also a lottery in the Netherlands called Postcode Loterij mm. they have their own um, their own little funding organizations called Stichting Doen yep. do it they are very good at funding social initiatives mm. uh, so a lot of people in my scene and uh, uh, in the creative scene in general they, they know perfectly how to find those in institutions mm. and they're they're very innovative I think and yep. they really know what, what to what to sponsor, I think, yep. by those projects. What is, what, I think what's also inter interesting, especially about the Creative Industries Fund, is that sometimes they, they get a bit of money from the government because the government wants uh, a problem to be solved or being looked at from an interesting creative way. Mm. So they, the government actually just gives them a question, uh, a challenge, and then this Creative Industries Fund, they organize a funding round uh, for creatives to think about interesting ways to solve that problem. Mm. For instance, um, one, of the, one of the project was about a new source of income yep. for um, city governments in the Netherlands. 
and as I think it's happening in a lot of places in the world, city governments, their revenues are selling land mm-hmm. to property developers. Yep. In the crisis years, that sort of income sort of, you know, dried, dried yeah, up. Dried up yeah. um, so what other sources of income you could think of? And we, we did a research after what we call brand urbanism. It's urban projects um, uh, that are partly or sometimes completely sponsored by brands from mm-hmm. a marketing perspective. Yep. Uh, to give you an example, um, in London there's uh, a network of super cycle highways, mm-hmm. cycle super highways, sorry, from the outskirts of the city to the city center, yep. and they're all paid for by Barclays, by the bank. Mm. You could have your thoughts about this, but it's an interesting phenomenon that's happening more often, mm. and we wanted to sort of investigate what kind of potential this would have for government, city governments mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. Yeah. Could this be a source of income? And if it will be a source of income, how can you add quality as an urban designer to this kind of projects? Mm. So that kind of solutions, innovations are interesting, I think, and they just they are a direct result of a government that asks, you know, and says, okay, creative community come up with interesting ideas. Yep. It certainly sounds like there's there's definitely some government support out there, Jerome. So are there any particular local issues or problems that you're passionate about that you believe are yet to be tackled in an innovative way? Uh, you mean in Amsterdam? Yeah, in Amsterdam or in, in the Netherlands in general? Mm-hmm. Um, in Amsterdam, one of our biggest problems, I think, is mass tourism. Um, so many people are concerned about um, the number of people visiting the city, and mm. this is, I, this is, you know, on the one hand, it's a success, you know, yeah. it's, it's something, you know, it's good for a city. Yeah. On the other hand, many inhabitants, they, they, uh, they, don't, go to, they don't go downtown anymore because it's yeah. so, so busy. Yeah. yeah. So crowded with people. And of course, it's a direct result of cheap, air fl- you know, cheap flights, yeah. um, things like Airbnb, um, the cycle paths. We are mm-hmm. cycling. You know, we, some, we refer to ourselves as the cycling capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah, we can. and it shows. Yes, um, and it's also uh, there are so so many so many cyclists on the road. And uh, there was been a rec- recent research done by the government, which uh, concluded that almost half of the cyclists in Amsterdam, people who grew up cycling, I I, I rode my first bicycle when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, people get afraid of cycling and as a cycling capital this is something you should take seriously mm. when half of your inhabitants are afraid to cycle that's not a good sign I think. yeah so the, i mean i think there's a big challenge ahead for the city and this is uh, maybe it's the first city in the world that has uh, that is dealing with negative impact of negative consequences of cycling you know mm. i mean almost every other city in the world wants to become a cycling city yeah. and we're there we've yeah. been there we're already there and now it's our task to stay that way and mm. to keep cycling yeah nice for as many inhabitants as possible mm. i think that's a, that's a big challenge for sure. Amsterdam. i think it's a challenge that a lot of a lot of cities have seen uh, problems with mass tourism exactly um, yeah. in terms of housing prices Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, and Barcelona's a perfect example of this as well. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see in the future how, how governments perhaps act or how local community groups come together to look at ways to, to solve this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Joan, do you have any projects on the horizon that you're particularly excited about? 
Uh, yes, <laughs> we're currently working with uh, BPD, BPD, the largest real estate development company in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. um, on a new living complex, a new apartment block that integrates the aspects of the sharing economy as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we want to investigate if the sharing economy can bring positive impact to, a to not only to the apartment block, yep. but also to the neighborhood around it. Mm. There's been a lot of talks about you know, Airbnb and how yep. it's destroying you know, the authenticity of cities, yep. that kind of things. And we actually want to see if we can also turn this around. So what we're going to do, we've um, developed a concept for this apartment block which, um, um, in which as much capacity as possible is being shared among mm -hmm. residents so yep. for instance um, I mean it doesn't really make sense to have a vacuum cleaner in your apartment when you only use it once a week or in my case once half a year <laughs> um, or a drill or so we, uh, we actually we, we, we get all this stuff together and we have a tool library on the ground floor and which Excellent. people can just use stuff they they, they, they want to use yep. uh, there is no study rooms no um, no specific rooms in an apartments where people can work. Mm -hmm. There is just a co-working space. That's not yeah. really new, but there is a sort of parasite apartments uh, in this apartment block, which you can attach or detach from mm. other apartments, which can yeah. which can function as guest rooms or yeah. Airbnb rooms. Yeah. It also has uh, wireless locks and everything, smart control locks. And also, when you buy an apartment in this block, you also buy your access to mobility. Mm. So there is uh, a car car park with. Uh, I think five or six uh, BMW electric vehicles. Yep. So um, um, by doing that, people don't need a car anymore. They just can use it. Um, the overcapacity, still, if there's an overcapacity, uh, all these things are being made available to the surrounding neighborhood. So mm. we actually try to give people in this surrounding neighborhood a reason to go there. And this ground floor will be publicly accessible. So mm. if people need a working work spot for the day, they can go there if they want. If they need a drill to use, they can also, uh, they can also go there. And um, there'll be a, a shop space as well, which can change function every three hours. So in the morning you, will need, you may need bread, so it makes more sense for a little bakery yep. to have its shop there. But in the evening maybe you need wine or colors sure. or whatever. Yep. So um, the shop will have a flexible interior, so it, it allows for different functions throughout the day. Excellent. And. Um, by doing that, we hope that we, it's a new neighborhood, so mm -hmm. it's entirely new. Yep. We hope that we can create um, uh, sort of social cohesion. And I think this is much needed in many, many urban neighborhoods these mm. days. You know? yeah. It sounds like a really great project. I look forward yeah. to, to following it and seeing it. Yeah, seeing yeah. It me too, me too, because we don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah. But uh, we're very glad that this, this real estate development company believes in it mm. and uh, is willing to give us a chance to to develop this yeah, and absolutely. Uh, see how it works. Fantastic. So we'll definitely look forward to, to following that project in the future, Jerome. Thank you very much for your generous insights and time you've given us today. We much appreciate it. Thanks very much for uh, interviewing me. It's great. Thanks for listening to Impact Food. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact 
every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.